0: Welcome to the Three P's of Cancer podcast, where we'll discuss prevention, preparedness, and progress in cancer treatments and research. Brought to you by the University of Michigan Rogel Cancer Center. I'm Scott Redding. We're here with the University of Michigan Comprehensive Cancer Center Director for Patient and Family Support Services, Donna Murphy, to talk about ancillary services for cancer patients, their families, and caregivers. First, let's meet Donna. She's a licensed Master of Social Worker and has been at the university for 21 years. Donna's been part of the Patient and Family Support Services since 2005, and the director for the last four years. Donna, can you tell us what exactly Patient and Family Support Services are?
1: Sure. Uh, the Patient Family Support Services is a group of providers, therapists, uh, people trained in the psychosocial part of dealing with health and healing. In this case, with cancer, uh, it's the resources are really designed to help a patient connect the mind, um, the spiritual part of healing with the physical part. So, for example, we have art therapy, music therapy, guided imagery and mindfulness. We have a specialist who manages uh, the, the needs of the parents who are ill, who have concerns about their children. We also have a chaplain. We have individuals specifically that'll deal with anxiety and depression and, if necessary, find medications that will help with that. We have a patient education program. We also manage the volunteers in the cancer center. And so that makes up other range of people that provide resources, sometimes written, um, sometimes in talk, sometimes in the actual doing of activities to help heal.
0: Wow, that sounds like a lot of services that uh, could be beneficial to um, patients uh, and their families. Um, so you, you mentioned something about children a minute ago. What, is there a good way to let children know or um, are there avenues to let people into their cancer diagnosis?
1: Absolutely. There's a there's some pretty detailed information on how to share illness and changes in someone's health, a, a parent, a caregiver with a child. And it, it's really based on the age of the child, how you would do that. We absolutely support and recommend, as does the research, that uh, you let people in early. A lot of times not knowing what to say might be a barrier to telling people. Um, Privacy and the way that you manage your personal needs sometimes are a barrier as well. We do find that when people reach out and other people know, the experience of dealing with the ups and downs of a diagnosis can be really helpful when other people are there. Uh, as someone that you would trust, uh, and certainly being in a um, on the same page with other people about your needs and desires. I think that patients sometimes share experiences where they feel overwhelmed, but they also don't, don't know what to do with all of the people reaching out. And sometimes having a, a spokesperson or that advocate identified as you go on the front end of a health a uh, pretty critical health situation is helpful that that person can relay information to the people worried and waiting, mostly to help. And so being really specific with the kinds of things you might want help with, or the things that are needed. For example, when we talk about kids, um, someone that needs a ride from school every day, and we can help shape what that could look like with someone so they're and concerned about that part of that day, if they're not home for that piece, is getting taken care of the same way every day from a reliable source. And that person who's doing that task is usually more than happy to commit to that. So it's one example of how uh, an unmet need or a fear that, a let's say, a parent might have could be addressed by saying, this is what I need. And then having a way to get that done, maybe by someone else who will arrange for that. We do find that the support with other people in another person's life uh, who is ill is sometimes the most valuable part of their coping.
0: So obviously there's uh, resources uh, for patients to uh, be able to access to get that help.
1: Absolutely. We have specialists specifically. There's one... uh, uh, in our role of families facing cancer, and that individual is a child life specialist, very highly trained in development and also in working with adults and sort of looking at the needs of the family. Uh, our therapists in all of our areas are trained to have those um, and identify those discussions about the needs that come up psychosocially. We might be making, uh, let's say, art, um, maybe painting or a tile project or something that is repetitive and soothing, sometimes we find that that's when a person can easily talk different than sitting face to face with them and um, asking pointed questions. And so everybody that we have that works in the psychosocial domain is someone who's specifically trained in dealing with critical health issues, how they affect the emotional realm, and what what might be needed as a support for that individual, and we we feel very fortunate that we have those resources here. So through these
0: different resources, you know, you mentioned art therapy, guided imagery. You know, is those are those activities that are there just to kind of kill time, or, or can you explain a little bit more about how those kind of activities are beneficial for for patients and caregivers?
1: Sure. I mean, I I think we know that. Uh, Basically, the pleasure center of the brain is what drives a lot of what we do. Um, certainly the arts, things that soothe or calm, prayer and meditation, those are things that many people talk about being meaningful uh, throughout their life, certainly at a time in crisis. Sometimes the confusion and the, the chaos that might come from a pretty calm or stable life and then this sudden diagnosis of cancer or the threat of your life changing uh, dramatically may not have you reach for those like you might've in the past uh, when you're well. And so we want to prompt people and remind people that these resources are, are helpful. They're helpful in working through feelings. They're helpful in soothing the sensory system, certainly visual, tactile auditory. When we think about music therapy, uh, using using music to heal to slow a heart rate down to give you energy to allow you to write uh, for example um coupling let's say music with art or making of some sort where your hand and eyes are connecting uh, a, a body mind sort of connection and making is a very powerful experience uh and we, when we go into things like guided imagery, meditation, prayer, which have a lot of uh, privacy and purity, I mean, it, you know, no one's really going to analyze your thought or the imagery that allows you to feel soothed, and yet um, a highly personalized approach to that, for example, our guided imagerist would work with a script for someone who may find standing in a tall uh, pine forest, listening for the sound and the wind, um, listening for needles falling, for example, that might be worked into a script uh, based on their words and this agreed upon you know, script at, put to music. And, and that could be used over and over again. And once someone has that and has rehearsed that, And it's said that out loud, it's something you can call up almost automatically by just closing your eyes or concentrating. So it's just a simple example of what we like to do when we bring someone forward. The art therapy sessions are very individualized, but we know that when people do, especially with color, especially with movement and different textures, choosing a meaningful object that once it's done carries with them the power or the meaning of that experience when they were ill. It might also be a container of some sort where mementos or things that are important are kept, for example, a a box or a book or a card that was made, a piece of art that we frame. Uh, Those are all ways that someone can express fear, worry, anxiety, hope, joy, excitement uh, in a way that is you know, pleasurable and meaningful. So we often find that people that are ill have more free time than they were used to. And sometimes people are like, well, what can we do? You know, how do we, how do we keep, what should we do today? How do we keep you busy? Um, We want to make sure that people are choosing activities that matter to them that uh, have a sense of uh, freedom of time. You know, when we get lost in an activity, um, there are no strings attached, you don't have to do it. It's freely chosen uh, and it carries meaning and joy and it brings joy um, and that you're not doing it for someone else.
0: Well Donna, that's a, a lot of um, creativity uh, that people can get involved in. What if you're not creative like myself and you know I'm more into either exercising, you know are there um, other kind of complementary or, or integrative uh, therapies or exercise that, that would be also helpful?
1: Absolutely. There's great evidence for things like yoga, which also might not be for everyone, but in in any yoga studio, uh, a yogi would be able to nurture the pace that you're at. So uh, yoga is an excellent mind-body connection. Um, I think walking, uh, especially when people aren't feeling well, as long as they're stable, with a little help, Walking is a great way to begin to rebuild endurance or to catch your breath after a difficult treatment and come back. There's a lot of body work that can really be powerful in healing. We know the evidence base of massage is great. For people in treatment, we definitely ask that the person is cleared through their physician so that physical touch and manipulation doesn't interfere with sort of like a platelet development or count. But there are massage therapists that are specifically trained Uh, for oncology work. And so looking for those specialists in your area, things like Reiki, uh, healing touch, a lot of our patients talk about those being incredibly beneficial. Uh, And certainly acupressure, acupuncture, there's numbers of ways physically that people could, usually this thought of re-engaging because the changes in their body and wanting to get back to their endurance, um, working through fatigue, and all of those things, you'd be working with your oncologist to say, how much or when am I ready? Especially if there's been surgery. Um, But that idea of getting back on track, getting to a certain fitness level, getting your stamina and uh, managing fatigue are almost always goals of a patient who's been through a lot of drug therapy and and, and potentially um, surgeries and trying to recover for that. Again, we would say, you know, whatever that doctor or nurse practitioner, physician's assistant, or your nurse recommends, and then um, take a slow and steady approach to to that.
0: It's a lot of really good information um, and a lot of different activities. It it seems like that can be helpful. But how is participating in a PFSS-type program uh, helpful and beneficial to cancer patients?
1: I think it adjuncts the physical care that they're receiving, You know, the physical and medical side to someone's cancer is the most important reason why they come. The other resources that are here really work with the mind and body and the professionals we have doing that work, whether they're social workers, psychiatrists, art and music therapists, guided imagery, meditation, um, spiritual care is a huge component, uh, as well as supporting the family. I think these are all ways that, in addition to the things that are happening And um, on behalf of the disease in your body to to help eradicate and heal, we want to bring that mind in and we want to bring the spiritual side of that in to connect it all, to make sense of it all. We often find that people will share at some course of their care about how their life starts to be redefined, like re-narrated. Here's this thing that happened and I wasn't expecting it. Asking people to live in the unknown, especially with a diagnosis of cancer. There's a lot about it that we can't define. Time frames, the the way it's all going. We're dependent on scans and other resources to tell us how it's working. And that waiting is sometimes debilitating for people. And so we want to train people and teach people and talk to them in real time while they're getting treatment if we can to do other things with your mind and your body to help and soothe and calm and do other things that help with the worry and the waiting
0: so by doing that does that um uh potentially help with uh, a quicker recovery or help with the healing process i think there's a lot
1: of research that shows that uh yes it does and in that hope you know of all things is, is one of the most healing powers. When we do things that matter, that are pleasurable, we, we, we you know, release chemistry in our, the, the chemistry in our brain really releases, uh, well, dopamine for one, um, releases substances that help us heal and bring pleasure. And in a happy state, we function better than in a worried and anxious state. And if we can move it, and uh, again, those are big, tall orders, the What we ask someone to endure when we give them a diagnosis is really incredible. Loss of work, loss of function, at times loss of roles that you might have had, the worry about other people stepping in and the roles that you did carry. Um, So we, we really see this in families and with parents. And so we want to give them tools. We want to teach them tools. And these are tools for life, not just tools for getting through cancer. If we expose you to, like, let's say art and, and you know, you had said earlier, you're not creative, but I would I would argue that point. And sometimes we do. And sometimes we, we see this amazing outcome. And I will add that, you know, we have a gallery that's for patients in the cancer center. The patients show their art and they work with our Um, outstanding art therapists to create that art. Some of them are artists before their cancer. Some will share that their art changes dramatically once they have that diagnosis. They might even move to a completely different medium. Or someone who's never engaged comes forth with prolific artwork. I can think of multiple examples of artists we've had in our gallery that way. And so We always want to take a shot at that person (laughs) who says that's not for me, and we will. And and sometimes we ask for permission to come back.
0: I don't think you'd be hanging my stick (laughs) figures up anytime soon.
1: I could make Uh, an awesome gallery.
0: (laughs) Well, barring actually putting a gallery event up for me, um, you know, um, this is all great, um, great service here. It sounds like the University of Michigan Comprehensive Cancer Center, but what if I don't live in the Ann Arbor area or I'm not being – being seen as a patient here, um, you know, what should I be looking for uh, to try to find these kind of services?
1: Well, I think what we do know is there is just prolific resources out there. A lot of them are online. So in terms of support and connection, it would be really trying to identify in your area what's there specific to cancer. We have amazing resources with Cancer Support Community and Guild is Club, Leukemia, Lymphoma Society, American Cancer Society. So those global resources are there. There's a number of online connections, support. There's peer-to-peer support. I think of Immerman's Angels and other, uh, um, you know, global resources that help match people with the same or similar background and, and experience. Uh, As far as activities, and this is what I'm amazed at in this cancer center where all of our patients are outpatients in this center, thousands of them, um, we'd rather see you connecting to those resources in your community. You know, why come and use a medical model in your approach to art making or let's say yoga? And And yet at the same time, sharing your experience and your story with the resource you're connecting to is a really powerful and important part of the patient voice and getting what you need. And so I would say, look looking really at yourself to say, what? I've got this treatment and I've got these side effects, or I've got this timeline in my mind. What would make it better? And those are the same things you would probably say uh, before cancer. I love gardening. I love flowers. I love um, collaging. I love talking on the phone with my friend. Uh, you know, whatever that happens to be, you should do more of it. Sometimes we withdraw because we're overwhelmed and we've got to sometimes have rigor to go back into the routine that made us uh, feel fulfilled. And with worry, that's hard to do with hope, uh, and feeling, you know, optimistic, You're more likely to engage. And so it might just be sometimes even creating an accountability partner, someone who will say to you, you know, what have you done for yourself today? Or have you done something that has brought you joy? Have you pulled out your journal? Are you doing your writing? Have you been out to the garden? Um, Can we go to the museum? Would you like to take in a movie? Um, So that someone who, who has their eye on how you're doing with those things is sometimes helpful.
0: So there's all these resources here at the University of Michigan, as well as in the communities. You know, does this cost people money? I mean, as a, I mean, we talk about being worried and doing these things to help with that worry. I mean, finances is one big worry that patients, I think, have. So to add on to that, um, that can sometimes be even more troublesome.
1: So, for example, here, a lot of the resources that we have are of no cost to the patients. We do a great deal of work with philanthropy to make that so. I think that's true for other cancer resources. Certainly, uh, in the cancer support communities, Gilda's Club, American Cancer Society, Leukemia and Lymphoma, a lot of programming that might happen at that community level, the regional level, is supported and funded. So hopefully, there you know those resources are no or low cost. Uh, we, I like, for example, at our local Y, and I think it was a national program called uh, Live Strong at the Y, there's scholarships to pay for eight or 10 week sessions to do some conditioning and getting that endurance back. And if that may not be so in your community, there might be people who would uh, work with you that way if, if um, cost was an issue. I think that, uh, what is really more important is to look at the meaningful piece of something that might cost nothing. Um, You know, reading, listening to podcasts, you know, music, uh, things that are available on the web, uh, movies. And um, while those might be more passive, sometimes they're great activities when you're not feeling well. And the more active things we can do, like walking, um, doing an activity with a friend so that you have the emotional support and the, and the ability to talk out some of your feelings, meeting someone for a cup of coffee and seeing if they'll pay for it. Uh, you know, so, so that social part and being connected costs nothing, but is sometimes a really hard part. And I do want to add this because people talk about it a lot. They talk about it in support groups and in therapy, that sometimes their range of friends change. Um, I've heard it said, you know, s- s- friends become strangers and strangers become friends. And for, for the, the difficulty that some people have talking about cancer, reaching back to someone, they're often surprised at the people they thought would come forward. And I think it's just a reminder to say that, um, it's not, it's not easy for, for anybody to deal with the words or the diagnosis, but there are people out there that would love to be that person for you. But you have to be able to say or help, help, help someone help you with, uh, being able to say, you know, I need someone right now. I need to talk right now. Um, and so we really want to encourage that you connect rather than isolate and when we're wounded and sick we kind of you know we we kind of as a species we we want to we want to isolate and so i i find that the people that talk about their their feelings related to being diagnosed um and facing all of that and what that might mean is that um being social and being connected and doing some things out in the community are ways to to be aware that there's more, there's more. It's like being outside or being at night and forgetting to look up and seeing the stars. And then when you do, you're like, Whoa, I forgot to look up, you know, um, to find it in the simple things, to find meaning in the simple things that, uh, can bring you joy, but also have you remember It's vast. You know, there's a big world out there. There are caring, good people out there to reach out to them, to know who they are first, uh, you know, and then reach out to them.
0: Great. Well, Donna, I really appreciate all the quality information uh, that you've given us and um, appreciate you taking the time today. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening. And tell us what you think of this podcast by rating and reviewing us. If you have suggestions for additional topics, you can send them to cancercenter at med.umich.edu or message us on Twitter at umrogocancer. You can continue to explore the three P's of cancer by visiting rogocancercenter.org.